0: morning, friends. If you have your Bible, grab those, if you would, and go to two different passages of Scripture. Today we'll read from the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and then we will read it from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you probably know, we, this month we are doing a systematic theology month. We are unpacking the doctrine of God. Last week we talked about prolegomena, first things, really set the stage, put up guardrails, however you want to describe it. And then today, really unpacking the triune nature of God. So what we see in these two passages are the two tensions of God, uh, that he is one, but that he is also three persons in one. We see those two truths uh, juxtaposed to one another. If you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, and Says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and they shall talk of them when they sit in their house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your foreheads. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That is our scripture reading today. Thank you for being here today. Today I want to talk to you about a truth. We're Really, this month, we're answering the question of who is God? Who is the true God? But today I want to talk about a truth that is beyond our ability to comprehend. A truth that is beyond comprehension. Listen, a truth that is beyond comprehension, does not void it as truth, but in this case validates it as truth. Today we talk about the tri of God. Today we talk about that there is one God, amen, and that there are three persons in the Godhead themselves. So God is God three in one. So how could God be three in one? That this soul idea is beyond Our comprehension to understand, but our inability to fully understand this concept does not invalidate it as truth, but rather it validates it as truth. Allow me for just a moment, allow me to push an idea into your mind. Allow me to weld a thought onto the frame of your mind two questions I'm going to ask you a lot today, and I hope you would respond to me with it. First question I'm going to ask you is, who are you? Now, that's a weird question, but the answer I'm looking for is that you are finite. So who are you? You are finite. And who is God? He is infinite. So who are you? You are... And who is God? That truth alone will tell you that it's going to be very difficult for us to really understand the full nature of God. But what does it say in John chapter 17, verse 3? It says that this is eternal life, that they may know you. That is why God is infinite, that we are meant to know Him, that we have a relational God that we are meant to have a relationship with. And the reason that eternal life will never be boring is because He is infinite and we are finite. So today we continue in our series on answering the question, who is God? It is really systematic theology. What does the whole Bible say about who God is? And today we unpack the triune nature of God and then we unpack his character. To give you an idea, my sermon today is going to be in four different parts. Today I want to define the Trinity and then I want to discern what the Trinity is not. And then number three, I want to determine its importance. And then number four, I want to discover God's character. But before we begin, uh, I'm gonna give two different disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, if you are new to Christianity, if you have just come to Christ, if you're kinda checking Christianity out, if you're online and you're trying to figure out what I'm even talking about today, if you're, if you're new to Christianity, then today, you, after the service today, you're gonna feel Probably like you do after Thanksgiving meal Now, how, many of you, how do you feel after Thanksgiving? You feel great, but you're also probably a bit stuffed and lethargic I remember one particular Thanksgiving, I ate so much I think I slept on the couch for the next three hours and watched the show Dirty Jobs And just half asleep watching it That's how we feel after Thanksgiving We feel great, but we're kind of stuffed full That's going to be kind of my sermon today. It's going to be really heavy truth, and it's going to be deep and complex, but I hope that you hang in there with me. And then disclaimer number two is this, is that we must remember throughout the sermon today that we are limited, that we are finite human beings. As I mentioned last week, this whole month is dedicated to the idea of theology. Last week was prolegomena. We defined theology, we discerned theology, and then we discovered theology, how God has revealed himself to us. And then today we're unpacking God's triune nature and his character. Next week we're talking about who is the Father and who is the Son. And then the fourth week in February we are unpacking who is the Spirit. The importance of understanding the Trinity can be demonstrated in this right here. This is a $20 bill, okay? It is mine. I'm not going to give it to you today, one lucky person. This is not Oprah, okay? Um, But how do you know that this is the real deal? How can you spot a counterfeit? The best way to spot a counterfeit bill is by knowing the real thing. About 20 years ago, I was in this gas station, and I was just awkwardly standing in line, and there was this young man who probably paid for his soda with a $20 bill. Well, this cashier looks at this $20 bill and then just starts immediately ripping it up into shreds, into pieces. And then he pours water on it, and so there's this big pile of mush. And you have this kid that just paid for this drink, wondering what's going on, and the cashier just called him out on it, that it was a counterfeit $20 bill. So I'm sitting there in this gas station really awkwardly, kind of standing in the back, kind of wondering what I'm supposed to do, and these two are kind of beginning to heat up and go at it, so to speak. So what I did was I politely put my stuff on the shelf and walked out before somebody got hurt. What is the best way to spot a counterfeit is by understanding the real thing. It's the same way theologically, that if you truly understand the very nature and triune nature of God, if you understand who he truly is, then you can spot counterfeit doctrine You can understand what the the Trinity is not and what it actually is. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Today, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Uh, This whole month, I'm just going to kind of nerd out on all you. And if I lose you, I apologize. I will do my best to hang in there. But today especially so, because today is just a very lofty discussion, because who are you? You're finite, and who is God? He is... So, a finite being trying to understand an infinite being that we will have natural limitations. So, what is the Trinity? That God is a triune God, that there are three persons that are each fully God, but there is only one essence themselves. The Trinity, in the words of Donald and Connell, if you know that, The Trinity is a mystery that cannot be comprehended by human reason and is only understood by faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity, Trinity in unity, neither confessing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each person is God and Lord and that the deity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. What in the world did I just say? This is the idea of the Trinity. If you have your notes, you can track along with me. The only way that I've ever been able to really illustrate the idea the the understanding of the Trinity is with this particular illustration. That you have one God. Amen. That we do not we are not pantheists. We do not believe in three gods, but that there is one God, and his name is what? Yahweh. I am who I am. And then you have here, you have the Holy Spirit over here you have the Father, and then you have the Son. The only way that I've ever been able to understand the Trinity is through this little graphic, and you'll see it. It's actually pretty famous. That the Son is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. This is the only way that I've ever been able to illustrate the the Trinity. That a lot of people, when they try to understand the Trinity, they use... Man-made creation such as an egg. That the egg has three parts, but there's only one egg. But the problem with that is that the shell is not the, the egg. The yolk is not the egg. The white is not the egg. That is the idea. The Son is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. Is anybody confused yet? This is the Trinity. This is the God that we worship. This God that we see three in one, a God has three persons, yet one essence, is beyond our understanding and our ability to comprehend. If you have your Bible, notice with me in Genesis chapter 1, we will begin with the persons of God. If you notice in Genesis chapter 1, we read a portion of it together. But I want you to look at verse 1 of Genesis 1 and we will see two assumptions. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. What do you see here? What are some assumptions that we make just in verse 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1? In the the beginning, God created, past tense, that what? What is One assumption that even before time itself, God already existed? Right, because He is God. If God was ever created, then He would not be God. Amen? Because God is outside the bounds of time, and He is infinite. That is why Jesus can never be created, that He is fully God. If Jesus was created, which some religions would espouse... Then Jesus would not be fully God In the beginning God already existed God created even before time itself God existed in the beginning God created The heavens and the earth and then notice verse 2 And the earth was formless and void And darkness was over the surface of the deep And the spirit of God Was fluttering over the surface Of the water. What do you already See? You already see the unity of God in verse 1 and then you see The persons of God in verse 2 The spirit of God was moving Over the waters. God was never created and then you see the persons of God at the beginning of time itself then notice verse 26 what does it say then God once again singular there Then God said let us make man in our own image according to our likeness Let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it say? Then God said, let us make man in our image image so from the very beginning of time before creation itself you see the fellowship that god had with himself you see one essence yet three distinct persons in the very beginning of genesis chapter one and at the end of genesis chapter one like i said is anybody confused yet so you have the persons of god but then you have the oneness of god the persons of God are further explained. What are some famous verses and passages in the Scripture that, that talk about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Matthew chapter 28, what does that say? All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you and long with you even to the end of the age. What does it say? What, is it, what happens at Jesus' baptism? That you have the Father screened down from the sky, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You have Jesus Christ, who was never created, who is fully God Himself, when He claims that He is Yahweh. And then you have the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He descends as a dove. So you see throughout the Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, you see the three persons of God, but then you also see the unity of the Godhead. We're not pantheists, okay? We believe in one God, we are monotheistic, we believe in one God that has three different persons, yet one essence. And where is the one essence of God displayed? If you have your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6, we read this earlier. If you want to flip there, this is where we see the unity of God. So we see in Genesis 1, the persons of God displayed, but then we see the unity of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is this passage is called the Great Shema. It's a very famous passage, passage in Jewish culture. It says this, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And notice all caps, Lord, the word Yahweh. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. So we see there the unity of God. And then John chapter 10 verse 31 says, Jesus is speaking. He says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father are one. Why is it important for God to be a triune God? I'm going to answer that in just a second. What's the problem with this? I've already mentioned about 8,000 What is the problem with this particular doctrine? It is truth. Let's just be honest here. That's what the Bible affirms. But what's the problem? It is that we can't fully understand this particular doctrine. It really makes no sense. But think about who you are. Who are you? You are, and who is God? He is, put it this way. This is you. This is your brain. I stole this from a friend of mine this week. He gave me this illustration and I thought it worked for today. This is your brain. This is the size of your mind. Now some of you are probably a little bit bigger than this because we do live in Huntsville, Alabama and you're really smart in the audience. But this is the size of your brain. That's it. That God has created you. There's a five pound mass inside of your skull that is limited in this particular regard. Any God that fits within this mold is not infinite and is not God. Any God that we can fully understand is not God. Why? Because he is infinite and you are finite. Listen, I have said this many times over the years, especially as we've gone through the Gospel of John, we see the triune nature of Jesus. He says, I am or not of Jesus, but of God. We see Jesus exclaim over and over again that he is Yahweh, that he is God, that him and the Father are one And I've said this many times, but I find great comfort in the doctrine of the Trinity. Because if a finite being can fully understand the infinite being, then the infinite being is not infinite and is not God. Let me say that again. Because if a finite being can fully understand an infinite being, then the infinite being is not infinite and is not God. The triune nature of God alone affirms that we serve the one true God. The fact that we cannot fully understand his nature affirms that we worship the one true God. If we understood everything about God, he's not God because God is infinite. He's never created. He is beyond our ability to understand because we are finite and God is infinite. God is a triune God. What is the Trinity not? Believe it or not, if you, if you ever want to know the importance of this particular doctrine and the history behind it, I would encourage you, and I mentioned these books last week, but there's two, two volumes. The books are called The Story of Christianity, Volume 1 and Volume 2, by a guy named Justo Gonzalez. And he really talks about the fight that the early church had to actually wrestle and actually synthesize this particular doctrine. Let me just because this. People literally died to have this as... As the full understanding in the church even today. What is the Trinity not? Number one, the Trinity is not pantheism. We do not believe in three gods. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Trinity is also not Unitarianism. There is a group of churches, I'll say it in quotations, churches, that believe in God, but not the full deity of the persons of God. This movement of the Unitarian movement came out of the Enlightenment, Enlightenment movement of the 16th, and 17th, and 18th century when mankind was trying to rationalize everything. In other words, that, that the people in the Enlightenment times, in the churches, were oftentimes trying to figure out how God fits within a finite mold, and they fell into error. And then the Trinity is not number three. It is not a three-leaf clover. I won't mention a video that is on you, on YouTube that explains this. Actually, I will mention it. It's Donald and Connell, but moving on. Those who have watched it recently uh, would know what I'm talking about. There's an illustration that people use to demonstrate the trinity of God, and it's a three-leaf co- clover. What's the problem with that? That the leaves are not the whole. The leaf, right? That's the problem. It, that particular ideology is something called modalism. That there is God that displays himself in three different modes. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But what's the problem with that? Then if God, is, God the Father is just a mode of God, then therefore he is not fully God. The God that we worship is one God with three persons in one essence. So what is the Trinity not? It's not pantheism, it's not Unitarianism, it's not a three-leaf clover... But why is it important? I found... I was researching for this particular sermon and I read a lot of really big books. If you ever want to see something that's really uh, intimidating, go pick up a systematic theology uh, novel or book or series of books. But what I found interesting about the ones that I actually read, the systematic theology that I looked through, they, they had a whole chapter on God the Father... God the Son and God the Spirit, but they really didn't have much information on the Trinity, on the triune nature of God, that we serve one God in three persons. There was not very much information on the doctrine of the Trinity, and I wondered kind of why. Why, why don't we have a lot of understanding about the Trinity? I think for a couple of reasons, that we kind of take the triune nature of God for granted. It's something that we've come to accept, but not something that we really talk about. But why is the Trinity important? Number one, I would say that the Bible affirms the Trinity. It is important because the Bible affirms it as important. This is kind of like us saying, um, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you know, Byron, go clean your room. And then what did I do as a, as a kid? I said, why? And then what did my father say? Because I told you to, right? You know, there is no reason. The Bible affirms that the Trinity is important, therefore it is so. Number two, the, the Trinity is important because it affirms the message of Jesus. What did Listen, what did Jesus claim to be? He didn't claim to be a prophet or a teacher. He claimed to, to be what? He claimed to be God himself, Yahweh. I am who I am. Number three, the Trinity is important because it distinguishes our God. We understand pantheism. We understand monotheism. But our God is three in one. There are three persons that are each fully God themselves, yet one essence. Our God distinguishes himself. Every other religion, we can understand the concept of God, but the fact that we cannot understand the triune nature of God affirms that this is the one true God and that we serve him. Why else is the Trinity important? Number four, because it provides the framework for the New Testament, that we see the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. Who are you? You're finite. Who is God? He will never fit within our little framework and our little mold. And that's okay. And that should provide you comfort. That the God you serve is the one true God. He is infinite in complete nature. And that you serve him and you can know him. What is this? Friends, if, if you get nothing else out of this, the whole idea behind this sermon series is not to be pontificate and to to be really smart and to impress your friends. But the idea is in our mission that we make biblical followers of Christ, but also I want you to understand who God truly is. He has designed you to know Him. He wants you to understand Him. He wants you to seek Him. He wants you to, to seek after Him, to know Him, to have a relationship with Him. He wants you to know Him. What does it say in John chapter 17, verse 3? And that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. And what is his character? We define the Trinity, that he is three in one, that we discern what the Trinity is not, that we determine its importance, the four things that make it important. And then number four, we discover his character. If you have your notes on the back, I'm going to give you 16 characteristics of God. And to be honest with you, this probably should have been a sermon in and of itself. Because I'm about to machine gun you all, not literally. Number one, what is a characteristic of God? And I've already mentioned it over and over and over again, that He is infinite. That He has no limit, physical limitations. God is infinite, what does it say in Psalm chapter 139? Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, behold, you are there. If I make my bed as Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. God is infinite. Number two, that God is sovereign. He is in control. We live in a time that seems out of control. Can I get an amen? It's weird out there, right? I mean, it's just, the last two years has really uncovered the weirdness of the world, right? It's like every day I wake up and I discover how strange it really is. But guess what? God is sovereign. He is in control, even though our world seems to be completely and totally out of control. What does it say in Job 42, verse 2? I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Number three, God is immutable. Now, what in the world does that mean? That God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Malachi chapter three, verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, o sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Number four, God is self sufficient. He is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to drink. He is self-sufficient. John chapter 5 verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son of man also to have life in himself. Number 5, God is omnipotent. What in the world does that mean? He is all powerful. Psalm 36, excuse me, Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made And by the breath of his mouth all their host That God is infinite He is sovereign, he is immutable He is self-sufficient, he is omnipotent Number six, he is omniscient He is all-knowing Number seven, he is omnipresent Psalm 139 Six is omniscient, seven is omnipresent I can tell some of you are taking notes you Wave me down if I go too fast Okay, okay. <laughs> Slow down Okay, slow down Okay, but I lost you, I'm sorry. I'll back up. Four, self-sufficient. Five, um, omnipotent. Six, um, omniscient. Seven, omnipresent. Number eight, God is faithful. That all of the promises that God has made to you will come to pass. That all of the promises that God has made to you will come to pass. That when you open your Bible and you come to chapters, like Romans chapter 8, it talks about the inseparable love of God. We know that God is faithful. That in that moment, as we read Romans chapter 8 and far more promises that He has given us, we know that all of those promises will come to pass. That God is faithful Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 demonstrates this. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Number nine, God is good. God is good. Another way to say it is that He is righteous righteous. He is pure, that there is no impurity in him, there is no darkness in him, there is no sin in him, but that he is completely and totally good and righteous. Psalm 34 verse eight: "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is He who then takes refuge in him. Number 10. God is love. This is the one we all know. We like this one. We don't like the, like number 12, but we like the love part. And he is. 1 John 4, 8 and 9. 7, 8, 9. Beloved, let us love one another for love is God. What is our motivation to love one another? It's Him, His love for us, and that He is love Himself. For love is from God, and everyone who is born of God and knows God, the one who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. (laughs) I'm gonna say all that again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What is the way that you know you're from God if you have love for one another? says the one who does not love does not know God for God is love number 11 that God is relational God is relational the very triune nature of God affirms this that even before time itself there was a triune God you're the three persons of God and you see in the very beginning of creation, the beginning of mankind, you see an affirmation of let us create man in our image. God is a relational God, He's not just relational to. His children, but also to himself. There are three persons, yet one God and one essence. But let me just say it this way, too. I know I say this line on a pretty regular basis, and I'm totally off script at this particular moment, which can be dangerous, by the way. I said some things last week, but I probably should have tweaked a little bit. Okay. But it is amazing to say, to think that God wants you to know him. That He is a relational God, that you are meant to have a relationship with Him. That in the Garden of Eden, God created us to know Him. And we knew Him so well that Adam and Eve knew the very sound of God. And because of sin, that relationship has changed. And God sent forth His Son into the world to reconcile us back to Himself. The proof that He is a relational God is His very nature in that He sent His Son to die for us. Number twelve, that God is just. In other words, what that he hates sin, he punishes sin. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, the rock, he his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Without understanding the justice of God, we will never really appreciate the grace of God. Those two are inseparably linked. Without understanding the justice of God, we will never appreciate the grace of God. Those two are linked. Number 13, God is merciful. Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Number 14, that God is knowable. And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. Number 15, God is near. God is not some clockmaker that wound up the universe and let it go, but that he is near. Psalm thirty four verse eighteen the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Number sixteen, God is creator. He is maker of heaven and earth. He is creator of all things. Number seventeen, God is holy. He is set apart. Who is God? I'm going to give you a definition that is so limited. It cannot fully comprehend the God that is true. But I'm going to give you a definition nonetheless. God is triune, infinite in nature, holy in essence, relational in pursuit, noble and near to all who seek him. Let me say that again. Who is God? God is triune. He is infinite in nature, holy in essence, Relational in pursuit, knowable and near to all who seek him. I'm going to say it one more time if you're trying to write it down. Who is God? He is triune, infinite in nature, holy in essence, relational in his pursuit, knowable and near to all those who seek him. Some of you feel like you just ate Thanksgiving. Okay. I'm sure. This is what I want you to do this week. Last week I gave you three, really three different assignments. Last week I gave you the assignment of watching a sunset and seeing that sunset and making a list of ten things that that sunset tells you about God. Then I encourage you to read Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 53 and make a list of 10 things that each chapter describes about God. This week, I want you to do something a little bit different. What I want you to do is I want you to read Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 18. I want you to read Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 18. Those chapters. And what I want you to do is I want you to see how Abraham's understanding of God expands how he understands God more and more and more in his nature, and how Abraham describes the true God of the universe. It's actually really fascinating how Abraham's understanding of the one true God changes and expands over time. So Genesis chapter 12 through 18, I want you to see how Abraham's view of God expands and make a list of how it does. I always share the gospel at the end of my sermons, and I will do so. You know, I I don't... My intention when I preach is not to be over people's head, and it's not to be mean or to convict... It is to convict you. Yes, it is, actually. Um, (laughs) Okay, but to pick on you. But those that are here today that aren't sure where they are with Jesus, those who haven't believed in His Son, those who are unsure of where they are with God. If if God seems distant and you are seeking to know Him, then God is relational. He desires for you to believe in Him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God. And that Jesus Christ came and He died for our sins. Amen? He paid our, for our sins in full so that we could have eternal life and reconciliation to God. That if you would believe in the Son, that you would have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, then believe. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, today was heavy. Uh, Today was a lot. Um, Today was probably a difficult sermon to digest because we are here as finite human beings trying to understand an infinite being. Lord, we are are limited in our capacity to truly wrap our minds and heads around who you truly are, but the very nature that you are, that you are infinite, confirms to me that you are the one true God. Lord, we are servants of you. We thank you for how you have died for our sins to reconcile us to God. We thank you that you are relational That you have given us grace and you have displayed your love on the cross. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we lift up today. I pray for those that do not know you as Savior, that they would trust in you, that they would believe. And Lord, I pray for us as Christians that we would know doctrine, know the truth, so that we could spot what it is not. We thank you for today. Thank you for this church. We lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.